0: Digital Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your host for the House of Hardcore Podcast, Tommy Dreamer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House of Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Dreamer, and this week we have probably perhaps one of the most deadliest women out there, Masha Slamovich. How the hell are you?
1: I'm doing pretty great. How are you, Tommy?
0: I am well. Thank you for doing this. You're just stepping off of a flight, and I really, really appreciate it after a hard hitting matchup uh, for Jonathan Gresham's company down in the atl so she got up early i don't want her to beat me up because she's a pretty damn tough because i also know who trained her so with that said what got you hooked in the wonderful world of professional wrestling
1: i just loved professional wrestling you know for as long as i can remember i just remember being maybe four or five years old and you know i saw professional wrestling on TV. And I just kind of, you know, sat and watched for like 10 minutes and it just spoke to me. And I just knew that that was, that was my calling in life. And I just never let that go. I could never escape that thought or that path ever since.
0: I love it. Me neither. Um, was there a certain person that was your person? Um,
1: Not, not at the beginning. It was just, It was just the excitement of uh, wrestling itself, I suppose, but uh, in the very beginning, Chris Benoit and The Undertaker and Dynamite Kid, those were the people that stood out to me.
0: Dynamite Kid must have been like tape trading stuff because you're pretty damn young. So uh, Benoit and Undertaker, I get, but (coughs) excuse me, Um, that was great for your era because you go to that thing called YouTube and you could look up everybody. My era, when I was growing up, I had to be a tape trader and I had to wait in the mail to people send me VCR tapes of all these wrestlers that I wanted to see. So it's uh, pretty cool that when the internet is good, it's good for a reason and uh, that you can look up and see all these great performers. How do you go about becoming like a pro wrestler?
1: Uh, Well, when I was 16, funny enough, I thought that I... I was already like getting old and I should have started. So um, I looked up wrestling schools in New York and I landed on two options being House of Glory or the World of Unpredictable Wrestling that was run by Johnny Rods. And uh, I ended up going to the World of Unpredictable Wrestling for pretty much my first two years of training.
0: Did, I mean, uh, I just had a conversation with Marty um, Bell And uh, was John, would Johnny get in the ring with you? He was up there in age.
1: He did sometimes. I definitely remember Johnny coming into the ring and then, you know, somebody, somebody would get out of hand and all of a sudden he's grappling. He's like, Hey, look, I can still touch your toe to your ear, even though I'm 83. So (laughs) it was (laughs) an entertaining time.
0: (laughs) When he'd be stretching people. We actually called him uh, yesterday and he was back at the gym.
1: Oh yeah, that's great. I'm really happy to hear that.
0: Because you know he had some health issues, but I spoke to him yesterday and he's like, what are you doing, Papito? (laughs) And then uh, how, so you were there for two years?
1: Yes, pretty much Uh, from November of 2014, definitely all the way through to July of 2016. Um, And that was when I had my actual debut um, abroad, obviously.
0: Uh, That's where your first match was? Yes. Where?
1: Uh, In Japan, actually, because of the relationship that Johnny Rods had with the Japanese promotion Reina at the time. Uh, I ended up getting scouted and having my first five matches uh, over in Japan.
0: Wow. How old are you?
1: I had just turned 18 a few weeks prior to this.
0: And you have to move to Japan?
1: Uh, For a month and a half, Yeah
0: wow man that's amazing um besides was there any language i mean obviously some language complications or
1: um, certainly the language is you know very different from english so you know i did find it to be a little bit difficult but i also found it to be easy to work around and easy to adjust so uh, myself and the japanese culture meshed quite well thankfully
0: yeah My first time going there, I had to live there for six weeks, and I went there for All Japan. I loved it, and uh, I had an opportunity to go train in their dojo. I didn't, which I don't regret because that whole ECW thing worked out, but it was uh, that's all I wanted to do when I started wrestling. When I first got smart to wrestling, I wanted to be a star in either All Japan or New Japan. I didn't care about WCW or WWF. I wanted to be a star there but like i said it worked out um i can't believe your first five matches are in japan that's an amazing experience for anybody also living there did you have to live at the dojo and stuff
1: not not that first time i actually did on my second tour in 2020 but the first tour we stayed in this it was like a weird apartment that was for sort of long-term but sort of not travelers so we had like a communal kitchen and showers and like a gaming room but then everyone had their own bedroom which had a bed a mini fridge a desk a balcony and a closet wow
0: um so you're also now doing indies in the states once you come back or
1: yes that's correct
0: i don't know your journey so i just and uh that first part of it when you first get there, I just interviewed Sam Shaw, like, do you feel like, boom, you made it? Or it's just like, you're just shell-shocked in the sense of you don't know um, what to expect?
1: Yeah, I I didn't know what to expect, you know, fresh out of high school, never having been really abroad like that by myself, aside from Russia, um, I didn't know what to expect. So I just kind of took everything as it came. Um, I just remember being picked up at the airport by a guy who spoke no English and he was just holding a giant poster pointing at my face, like (laughs) hoping that I walk over. He's like, Oh, okay. You look like you match. Let's go.
0: That's amazing. So, um, you're here in the States, you're doing all that stuff you do. Are you working? Are you going back and forth to Japan or are you doing, uh, just Indies and then going back to Japan? Like what, what's your schedule?
1: So I came back to America and I I went from wrestling, you know, in Japan to wrestling on the local, whatever indie runs locally. And it was, it was quite the transition because, you know, very different worlds of uh, the level of wrestling, the way that people conduct themselves, uh, the pay, Uh, you know, so I wrestled on the indies. I ended up doing places like CZW, WSU, um, I, I, you know, I can't even remember other places, but uh, unfortunately I did have to take some time off uh, due to an injury. And then after that, I came back, but my main focus was on working outside of the United States. So I focused on wrestling in places like Canada, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, and uh, even, you know, my home country of Russia before I really focused Uh, my time on the indies for six months of 2019. And that was right before I'd went back to Japan for a different company.
0: Now I had heard of you when I don't remember where I heard of you, but I remember when impacts doing the all female pay-per-view and I don't know who recommended you. Do you recall any of this or?
1: To my knowledge, it was Mickey James because she was the one who recommended me for Empower. Yes. And she seemed very happy with my work, thankfully. So that's how I ended up uh, being the pick your poison match for Deanna Brazo at the Knockouts Knockdown.
0: And you had this match, an excellent match, um, especially like with, you're not going to have a bad match with Deanna. I don't think you were not going to have a bad match with you. But I mean, this is kind of like your first real opportunity. Mm-hmm. yes
1: yes as a prolonged singles match this was the first opportunity
0: and do they offer you a contract on the spot like yes all that goes
1: yes i i had no idea uh that any of that was gonna happen so i just knew <clears throat> you know we go out there we do our match and stay at ringside you know i assumed that perhaps you know, somebody else was coming out or something that I wasn't aware of was going to take place. Uh, and Gail Kim comes out and she just walks right to me and tells me to get in the ring. I had no clue that any of this was going on. And then immediately she uh, got on the microphone and, you know, praised the match and offered me a contract. And I was just completely blown away in the moment.
0: How friggin' awesome is that, man? Um, that's like... Uh... <clears throat> a real great accomplishment of how hard that you worked or how great of a match that you had that, that, that happened. That's real emotional. And that's, you know, it's cool that you got a lot of people. I mean, you think about the struggle that you had up until then uh, of trying to make it. And then you have one match and boom, you get hooked slash signed because they see how talented you are. I'm older uh, these are cool experiences that, you know, reflecting on is just like, man, that, because that doesn't really happen.
1: Definitely. You know, I have heard of stories or seen little clips of that kind of stuff happening for people, but I never, you know, expected that I would end up in those shoes. So, you know, you never really expect that kind of stuff for yourself. And I've always just uh, prided myself on being humble about my accomplishments and just focus on the work that I've put in. So I just firmly believe that hard work leads you to reap, you know, the rewards of your work. It's as simple as that.
0: Um. So I also knew you from doing the deathmatch match stuff. Also for females, there's not a lot of females that go out there You and I have talked uh, separately about this and it's just kind of like, I was like, well, hey, you got a scar and you you got cuts, blah blah blah, blah. and you're just like, oh, I think it's cool. Um, which is, I get it because I'd be a hypocrite, um, and I get that rush. But do you do a lot of death type of matches as well, more so on the indies than you know what you're doing in Impact?
1: Yes, I do. Um, I I mean, I just it's as simple as that. I love death match and. There's really no other feeling. There's nothing that I found that makes me feel so focused in the moment, alive, aware. It's, you know, I don't think you know until you until you do it, until you get in there with somebody who also knows, you know, the art of the style. And, you know, there's just a rush. It's, I guess it's how people get hooked on doing drugs because I suppose death matches, you know, my drug of choice ever since I discovered indie wrestling, I immediately discovered CZW. You know, I watched all of the cages of death and I was saying, yeah, mom, I want to do this when I'm older. she's certainly hoping I wasn't and it's not thrilled with my choices, but I am definitely happy. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I have a hardcore match coming up tomorrow. So who knows how that will lead.
0: Which do you prefer? I'm thinking you're preferring death matches as opposed to regular matches. I or it's different.
1: Love professional wrestling
0: okay.
1: as a whole, and I believe that the very best in, comes from versatility. So I don't think I could choose a certain style to say this is, you know, this is what I love more than anything else. I never wanted to be boxed in to a category or a style. I always wanted to transcend all of that. So to me, it's being good and doing good in all of the styles of professional wrestling is what's enjoyable to me.
0: Nice. Trust me, I get it about being boxed in because I thought I had to be this prototypical 1990s good looking baby face and that wasn't me. And I found my niche through ECW and being crazy and doing a lot of hardcore stuff that was way before its time. You said something interesting that I wanted to touch about that you say about the style and the art. Because I, there's a lot of people who, any, I literally could tell two people across the street from me, hey, break light tubes over across each other's head. And I don't feel that's wrestling. But when, I have studied like, you know, Terry Funk, Mick Foley, some of Onita's stuff, like there is an art form to deathmatch, deathmatches. And I like the fact that you talked about the psychology of a deathmatch, because there is a thing and it is a certain niche, like there's horror movies and then there's gore, which is a different type of a horror movie where they love that type of thing. So can you explain that a little bit?
1: Certainly. Um, Nothing infuriates me more than people just thinking, oh, Deathmatch is just getting in there and hitting each other with stuff. You just pick up objects. That's not how it works. That is a bastardization of the style uh, without any study of it previously. You know, I always go to people like Sammy Callahan, Danny Havoc. Uh, You know, there's so many other people who if you watch their death matches, it's not so much focused on, you know, the, the weapons, it's the story and the, the weapons are worked in within the wrestling. That's how you make it good. You make it all mean something instead of just, you know, a shit show for lack of a better word. So I think psychology is something that can be lost in death match, especially when people see it as a stepping stone to just get attention. Oh, I'm bleeding. Oh, I'm doing a death match. This is going to get me somewhere. If you don't respect the style, it's not going to get you anywhere.
0: Yep. Whether you're driving an old classic or a real piece of junk, the car market is hot. And that's why I want to tell you about rockauto.com, the one-stop shop for all the auto parts you need to keep your car on the road and in pristine condition. RockAuto.com has been a business for over 20 years. They have every part you need in stock at amazing prices. No reason to run around in different stores, websites, or order shops. Rock auto shops. RockAuto has what you need in stock. And guess what? RockAuto.com prices are always reliably low. That means they do not change prices based on what's going on in the market. This isn't like an airplane ticket, a hotel, or even beef at the grocery store. The price of beef is through the roof. You won't need to constantly check to see If what you need is available, and if now is the best time to buy, Rock Auto keeps it simple and has everything in stock at reliably low prices. So go to rockauto.com. They make it easy to maintain your car and save money. It feels good knowing your car is in top condition. Once more, go to rockauto.com for great prices on auto parts and tell them we sent you. There's a box when you check out to put in our show name. The prices are too good for promo codes. Let's get back to the show. Do you have a favorite death match? Not of yours of all time. Mine is um, Terry Funk onita, Exploding barbed wire death match. Because of the story.
1: Definitely that match is up there for me. But to me personally, I think Tammy Callahan versus Danny Havoc. I believe it was Cage of Death 8, I want to say. was always a favorite ever since I was a kid. That That match was the one that stood out to me.
0: Nice. I never saw that, but I, uh, I know both men and uh, I know their reputations at what they did in Deathmatch. Let me ask you this. Do you know, because a lot of people don't, um, in ECW with the staple gun that was made famous in ECW, the first place to do it, New Jack, and then if it wasn't New Jack, it was myself, Do you know that we never had staples in the staple gun?
1: I did not. I never, (laughs) when I was younger, bothered to think about that when I was watching (laughs) ECW.
0: And when we would do it, we would, New Jack would sometimes take gum and put it like a dollar bill and put gum in your hair, which we'd have to cut your hair or the sweat would just make Mm. it come out. Or sometimes when I would do it, I would take a post-it and flip it in half and have that post it and just go and just make the sound and the noise you really would squeeze it but there was never ever ever staples in the gun so a lot of people when i tell that to especially like cuz i've seen people legit get stapled and i was Oh i thought,
1: see that all the time so i'm <laughs> <laughs> i'm wondering who else has heard about this doesn't sound like many
0: <laughs> well i'm uh, peeling back the curtain uh, just for for some of you and then my other part do you know that I have done everything. I will not do light tubes. And here's why. One, glass you can't control, just like fire. You can't control glass or fire. I've been on fire and I've done a lot of fire and have gotten burnt, have also not gotten burnt, but you can't control when it, you can't control getting lit on fire. You can't control the fire. You just got to hope everything gets time right. Glass, how it breaks, all that stuff. You can never control it, ever. Even on it, like, if you're getting slammed in it, you know it it could cut you different ways. Uh, Do you know that when you have to get rid of a light tube, like, regularly, it's considered hazardous material?
1: Yes. Uh, I am aware of this, and... I mean, I try my best to not just be a raging maniac and have my mouth open when there's all that stuff flying around, right. but, you know, I get in the moment, sometimes I fail and, but the glass, you know, like you said, it is very unpredictable. Um, I've gotten cut from light tubes, obviously just, on very simple, just getting them broken over my back or something, but I don't know, man, I was like, there's just something, there's a sick feeling about just that glass. And I, I was like, I enjoy working with glass actually. Uh, as opposed to other things, but
0: I'm that way with the with
1: last fire. time I tried to work with fire, it didn't, it didn't light up for me. So that, that was a, <laughs> that was a big fail.
0: <laughs> I get it with, uh, I get it with, with one blood. I also get it with, um, we used to call it being addicted to the blade. Now it's a lot more, you know, realer blood in the sense. I mean, it's always been your real blood, but like, Oh, look, my back is bleeding. or Oh, look, my arm is bleeding. But, you definitely could get addicted to getting color every single night. You know, it works or I, <clears throat> I don't mind barbed wire. Um, I was also probably one of the first to use razor wire. Um, but that was not out of, that was stupid. <laughs> and we needed razor, we needed barbed wire and they literally went to a car garage in Manhattan and cut real razor wire. And then I bumped in it like an idiot on pay-per-view, though. Um, but have the the scars on my body still from it, so it's uh, all good because I view scars as uh, tattoos of uh, a specific event that you will uh, have forever. But barbed wire, don't mind. Yeah I don't, no like, yeah, I don't like moving in barbed wire. But there's once you get hit, and like even how we just had Jericho hit the barbed wire. And his end cell of being entangled in this mesh because, I got to witness it live with Terry Funk and Sabu and like, Terry could not move because he was wrapped in so much barbed wire like physically couldn't move because every time he's like, and then your drone starts to go. He's like, all right, wait, so you have we had to cut him out of it for real, like he was in a car crash, and then plus Sabu's pretty much bleeding to death out of his arm because he severed an artery here was. It was pretty gnarly. Born to be wired, by the way. That's the name of the pay-per-view if you ever check it out. Um, So I could get all that. And thumbtacks, thumbtacks never bother me unless they get my fingers and then I hate them.
1: Same thing with the thumbtacks. They've always been super easy for me. I enjoy working with thumbtacks, but if they get in my knees and hands, I'm quite unhappy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Normal conversations that people will never have, but you'll get this exclusively here with me and uh, Masha. You're, uh, you're getting quite a push uh, in Impact Wrestling. You're not... You think about you had a really, really great wrestling match with uh, Deanna. And now you've been kind of like this Goldberg-esque character that just comes out there and kicks whoever's ass uh, put in front of her. And now you also have a thing that they're doing where you're targeting people with a a death note is that what they're doing
1: yes it um it all ended up coming down to this death note from my original uh idea of this kill wall that we had filmed earlier um so i guess with the crossed out faces with the blood uh we just kept going with that and now i'm hunting my prey and playing with my food uh psychologically before i get to them in the ring um and I like the fact, once again, circling back to death matches, that I am getting to incorporate more and more of like death, blood, videos of light tubes being smashed in the videos. You know, I'm getting closer and closer to integrating the deathmatch. Uh, you know, hopefully one day we'll have an impact death match that we can integrate towards violence is a violence cells, blood cells. It's a
0: very unique uh, niche as well as it's a very unique niche for a female.
1: Definitely. So there's not, there's not many females, especially not, you know, of this caliber of professional wrestling, who voluntarily put themselves through this kind of, this kind of thing. You know, most people at Impact certainly want nothing to do with glass and barbed wire, but it brings me joy. And it brings me joy to bring it to a wider audience.
0: Would Sammy Callahan be a uh a dream match opponent for you?
1: hundred percent. I'm waiting for that to happen one day, very impatiently.
0: How do you feel about uh intergender wrestling?
1: Uh, of all the styles of wrestling that I do, you know, I mean, I suppose if we had to pick a favorite, maybe that would be high up on the list because I, you know, being from Johnny Rod's pretty much started learning doing intergender wrestling and that's all I knew so I got good at it and I always very much enjoyed it because to me it means no difference if you're a man or a woman or whatever it means nothing when you're in the ring you're a professional wrestler and that's simple as that
0: yeah I was blessed I loved mixed tag matches Um, and we always treated the women as equal as they should be with like the women wrestled the men the men wrestled the women i would be tagging with beulah and beulah would be we didn't do where once beulah tagged in you know shane douglas had to leave no beulah would wrestle shane i would wrestle with francine and then when i was with francine we would wrestle like you know do mixed tags with lance storm and dawn marie and or it would be me and francine versus like jack victory and steve carino or jazz I did mixed tags with Luna, like I always loved that. And I mean, ECW was also, you know, we did Luna versus Stevie Richards in a steel cage in 1995, which was unheard of. And Luna was bleeding, Stevie was bleeding and it was a really, really good match, but it really spotlighted females as equals. And a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people give ECW that type of credit for putting women in the main event of a show um, and all that stuff also against men. And Luna was the toughest person. Uh, one of the toughest people I've ever been around. Uh, Bully Ray will say Moolah is the toughest uh, I've ever met <laughs> a guy or girl. And I mean, sorry, May, because I mean, you think about May in her seventies, he dropped her off a stage and he was just like, and she was like, you hit me harder when he would do stuff with her and he was like she's the toughest woman i've ever met which is awesome and awesome uh for women's wrestling as well as the progression of women's wrestling you didn't co- i mean as a kid you grew up in the era of like the tna not actual tna but like the divas correct
1: uh early 2000s um and pretty much all through the 2000s is what i you know like really as a kid started watching uh, I definitely agree with you that ECW never got, you know, its credit for doing what it did. Like you said, putting women in the main event. It was, you know, ahead of its time. and kind of almost almost sadly, it's been kind of forgotten uh, and overlooked. But I specifically remember not really having enough women's wrestling to entice me. And I was always, excited to watch the men's wrestling which i think for the generation that would perhaps be watching wrestling now and watching people like myself and diana um they definitely have more things and more women's wrestling that they would find to be memorable and inspiring as opposed to myself in my opinion
0: do you have a dream match um against a female
1: Meiko Satomura is definitely still on my list. Uh, We've come like this close to wrestling. We tagged actually, um, but we did not get to have our singles match. She's definitely on the list. Um, Can't name too many off the top of my head, but Meiko Satomura is a very, very talented and worthy opponent.
0: Nice. I agree, man. And I'm a big fan of your style and I kind of know where your story is plotted to go. And then once I feel it hits because you're getting a much different reaction when you're coming out there, there's even though your matches are, are shorter, it's not that you can't have long matches, but you're this kind of like death slash killing machine of anything, any opponent that's put in front of you. But the whole Masha is going to kill you chance that are starting to resonate every time you work. It's like not only is this angle and slash ideas working, she's getting over. And once, like you, once you come out there and have that long type of match, that's going to be the real testament. But if you really think about it, you already did that. But now it's a different character that you've really been able to kind of turn around. You know what I mean? Yes. You and you had a long match. You got a contract. And then it was like, all right, once you, what do you do with her? And then you were made to this, like, you know, uh, someone who's just coming out there and kicking ass, which is really, really cool. But do you feel it? Like the, the crowd, the the fans, like connecting to you? Because when I was, I don't know how old you are. When I was 26 and I'm ECW full-time on television, that was the first time I it clicked and I got it. But as I'm older... Like I like see things and I see things like this person's getting over. The crowd is connecting to this person. Do you see it or no?
1: I definitely see how it's changed uh, over the course of the last, what, like seven months that we've been doing this now since November or something. Mm -hmm. It's definitely progressed. And I feel like it does change city to city sometimes when we travel, but it's definitely, like you said, it's hit a turn turning point where the mosh is going to kill you chants are coming and it's you know you become the puppeteer for lack of a better word and I can I can feel that slowly taking place
0: nice all right well I know where your journey's gonna I don't want to say end but really hit its apex and uh, I don't know if you do but I can't wait because I get the best seat in the house I always get to see it and watch you and do your stuff and uh, critique you got some great people in the back also helping you, especially with Gail Kim, helping all the knockouts. And, uh, don't know if Madison would help helps or helped you out as well, but she's another person that I really, really enjoy her work. And you have a lot of people that really want to see everybody get over and do well. And I think it's a cool atmosphere that's goes on in impact wrestling.
1: I do think Impact has a wonderful atmosphere and a great locker room. Um, I'm very thankful to have people, you know, like yourself, Gail Kim, D'Lo, and so many other great minds to, you know, feed off of talk to learn from. Lance Storm recently joined. He's another great mind to have watching your matches or, you know, so on and so forth. Um, I don't know where my journey is going. Um, right. Like you said, but I never really did. I never had a plan. I've always believed that I'm on a path on, I will moving in that direction and you just have to keep on the path and it all, it all happens. It all falls in part. Um, as long as you keep putting in the work. So I, love I don't know where the journey will lead me, but I'm enjoying the ride.
0: I love that. And your path will lead you where it's supposed to be because of your talents. And, uh, that's all I'm going to say for that. So I'm going to get you, I'm going to keep you excited and thinking and be like, whoa, Dreamer blew my mind on this podcast. Anyway, how do fans find you on social media?
1: I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter and uh, Patreon and Cameo, all of that good stuff, uh, at Masha Salamovich.
0: Well, sweet. And I thank you for your time. I thank you. I know you had a long uh, travel day already. And I thank you for uh, doing this. And as always, I look forward to seeing you and talking to you. And again, I look even more so to see your journey uh, because it's going to be a cool one. So uh, that's it. Thanks for being on this week's episode of the House of Hardcore podcast this week with Masha Sun.